0: Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman. And a year ago, uh, Kiki Aronita was in Hong Kong for a friend's wedding. And she started to hear rumblings about a virus that was highly contagious and beginning to spread. And there's no way she could have known that just months later, she would have to shut down her much-loved Philadelphia restaurant Poi Dog because of the impact of this virus. It was an agonizing decision but the multi-talented chef, writer, and artist is finding purpose in this pivot with a line of condiments that are based in her Hawaiian heritage, making objects that soothe her soul and finding new ways to keep the Poi Dog dream alive and thriving. She joined Communal Table for an in-depth conversation about the practical, financial, emotional, and intellectual work it takes to be a chef in an age of unrest. Welcome, Kiki. Kiki, I'm so glad you were able to join me today. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's get in the time machine back to this date in 2020. What was your situation then?
1: Wow, okay, so today (laughs) is January 6th and I was actually in Hong Kong um gearing up for Chinese New Year and my cousin's wedding which was taking place in a couple weeks I, at least i think i was in hong kong i was in hong kong for most of um last winter and i spend most of my winters there because uh that's in between like our busy seasons uh for the restaurant um so january 2020 um, My cousin was getting married, my baby cousin, and we had just started hearing news about a new uh, coronavirus uh, coming out of Wuhan. So she got married, I think it was like the 18th or the 19th. Um, There were a lot of festivities around then. And there was like, we were excited, but, it was a time that was um, that Hong Kong was really experiencing a lot of turmoil and there was really no end to the anti-government protests. And um, that was really like the only thing on my mind at that point, Mm -hmm. Um, worrying about the protests, like walking, physically walking through protests um, and just seeing, um, seeing people in military garb on every corner of like the place that I grew up and, it was really unnerving. Um, there's a lot of PTSD in Hong Kong um, because of the Chinese government. Obviously, um, we're the only place that like recognizes on a mass scale um, the events in Tiananmen. And uh, so, you know, whenever you see military people in military car on the street, yeah. it's extremely is extremely nerve wracking. And and then as soon as like n- news from uh, Wuhan started breaking out and I believe it was the Hong Kong news sources that reported it first and um, we all have as like collective trauma right. from um from SARS and I was in Hong Kong for SARS I was struggling return to return back I was like in, right in the what well, was during like my first year of college and i uh, trying to return back to Hong Kong was like really um kind of a mess. Like I had flight after flight canceled, I was stranded for a little bit and eventually go back to Hong Kong. And like, it was, it was the way that things are now. Um, like everybody masked and nervous and not touching anything. And, um, But I just like remember so clearly how that was. And it was just like that, like SARS all over again, where the streets emptied out and people donned masks. And I worried about flying um, back to Philly because I was convinced that um, I was going to be stopped or quarantined or something because so many people associate uh, these pandemics with Hong Kong.
0: Yeah. And so you had, I mean, I, I'm going back to the, you said PTSD, it, it's, it's bone deep for so many people for so many reasons. And that is a whole lot of factors sort of all at once because you're dealing with you know, government unrest and you're, you're dealing with, you know, you have a uh, experience with having, you know, dealt with, with a pandemic. And so you, you come back to Philly and you're looking around and, uh, I don't what. What is your feeling there? Because at that point, you know, in January, we're, we're you know, in the states, people aren't sort of talking about this very much. Sort of, it's this very, very far off thing. And because there has never been kind of that very present mask wearing and that kind of disease spread, people didn't ever think it was going to happen there. Did you feel like sort of visitor from the future, being like, "Hey, <laughs> I've seen what can happen." Kind of,
1: yeah. Like it was, it was really. <sighs> I mean, it took a while. So this was end of January that I eventually got back uh, to Philly from Hong Kong. And I say got back a lot because I'm constantly like returning to places it feels. Um, you are and a then, traveler.
0: This is the thing I know well, about. Well, I
1: was. <laughs> I was. Um, right. And then um, and then I have to say fiance now.
0: Um, oh, yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, Ari, my then boyfriend, um, had a guest chef residency at the Four Seasons Hotel in Bahrain. So then we were in Bahrain for two weeks in March and um, you normally that's a very busy time. It's like leading up to the Kuwaiti de- Independence Day and then all these Kuwaitis like de- descended upon Bahrain to like celebrate and like over the course of those two weeks, um, there, like normally the hotel was... Um, expecting like 80 percent occupancy but it was down to like five because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and um, I think the outbreak in Iran had had was already like pretty much in full forth- force at that point and like there was just like all this like news pouring in um, and we were then we were returning to Philly via London and I'm um, I was also like, oh, my God, we're going to get stopped. People are going to get quarantined. We're not going to make it back to Philly. Like, people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, you're coming from the Middle East, like um, like, close to Iran. Like, surely, surely we're going to put you in a box and make sure that you guys are not spreading anything. And that didn't happen. So I'm just like, all right, that's kind of weird. And then I come back. It's um, towards the end of March. And the governor in Pennsylvania then you know institutes a lockdown that I'm like all right okay it's March like you know first heard about this thing in January right. they're doing something this kind of sucks but you know like we're all gonna follow the rules we're gonna listen to what the government says the government's gonna listen to the doctors because that's what people do <laughs> right. and- in theory <laughs> you would
0: think this yes
1: <laughs> yeah and then two months later this will be fine so like you know I, all of my staff it's like you know they spend several we all spend several days like Deep cleaning the restaurant, um, getting re- like basically like going through like all our inventory and just making sure that everything is like ship shape so that when we reopen in two months, uh, mm-hmm. we are coming into like a place that du- that just needs like a dust,
0: right? Um, yeah. And let's okay. So let's talk about uh, about Poy Dog and what Poi Dog you know was and is because I, I tend to think of Poi Dog as and I think you have said this as well as like restaurant yes but more than that sort of with a with a whole lot of um, arms to it as we will will explain later is, uh, is is has been a very very interesting uh, development but at that particular time what is Poi Dog.
1: At that particular time, uh, Poydog Dog uh, was a restaurant in Philadelphia's Rittenhouse neighborhood. So right in Center City. Um, so we were right uh, pretty much in between UPenn and um, all the corporate uh, office people uh, based in Center City. So we served both uh, groups um, Most frequently, Uh, those were the ones who were packing our restaurant for lunch. Um, We were very, very busy, especially during the middle of the day. We were open six days a week. We had a food truck. The food truck was um, just about just about to get ready for its truck season. Uh, We had weddings um, to cater on the books. We had corporate parties, and um, yeah, at that point, Poor Dog was a business in three different parts. Uh, We had a um the Rittenhouse house restaurant we had the food truck and we had the catering business and march is right before we get very 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 busy mm-hmm. on all fronts
0: and let's talk about what the the food is there because it's so distinctive and i you know i i, I never actually got to eat there but I've had your food in other circumstances and you've seen the look on my face (laughs) when (laughs) when I've had your food my knees just go weak and it's such a a gorgeous thing and it is flavors and flavor combinations that I hadn't had before can you explain kind of the ethos of, of Poi Dog
1: I love that. I love if that is like the best way that anyone has ever asked me to explain Poydog and it's with using the word ethos. (laughs) So I
0: thank you. As a former classicist, I thank you. Well, and ethos is a word I got correct in the national spelling bee. So I try to use it as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) It it works well
1: for you, (laughs) I guess. Um, so Poi Dog in Hawaiian Pigeon means mixed breed or mutt. Um, so if it wasn't already apparent from conversation, I'm half from Hawaii and half from Hong Kong, um, a parent from each place. And I grew up in between both places. Um, and when I moved to Philly for grad school, I'm um,
0: just in classics? nine
1: years ago. I and, and- uh, yeah, it was for classics.
0: <laughs> you contain multitudes, Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 confusion <laughs> or something
1: um so there was like nothing like the food that i missed and i have no formal culinary training and i've always um i'm like i'm really um i don't even know the word like thrilled to be to, to be talking to you now because like i've always sort of like felt on the fringes i actually not sort of i've mm-hmm. definitely felt on the fringes of the restaurant industry because of several different reasons. Like we started as a food truck. I've always at heart been a street Mm -hmm. vendor uh, when it comes to Poi Dog. And I, like, I never really, I I feel like I, a lot of my friends were chefs, but I never really embraced that fully. That said, um, the food that I have served um, is very personal Mm -hmm. in some, in, in many ways, but I'm, We figured out how to cook it, like Poi Dog as a unit, like figured out how to make it and develop it during operation. Like these dishes weren't like thought out in advance and tweaked. And then we came up with a restaurant concept. It was very much like something that grew from a seed of, hey, want to serve like Hawaii style snacks um, to Philadelphia? And then like it sort of grew very, very, not sort of it definitely grew very, very organically from there. So Poi Dog Mixed Breeder much speaks to um, very many aspects of this um, business. And it spoke to my own personal um, background and it spoke to um, sort of the combination of what we call in Hawaii local food with um, mainland sensibilities. But we also really took um our our cultural heritage very seriously because if we were serving like um like a filipino dish or like a hawaii's version of a filipino dish we also wanted to be um accessible to people who only grew up in like filipino cuisine so like we really did a lot of like studying and traveling um and learning and talking to people that i'm related to in order to discover Deeper cultural aspects of the local food that we were serving.
0: I was so fascinated uh, by this about how uh, Hawaiian cuisine uh, sort of evolved, uh, and so much of it has to do with access to certain ingredients because you were talking about the mainland ingredients. And then I know there must be, you know, local ingredients too. And it, it was, it was so fascinating because, uh, when you were telling me this, there was a, there was a watermelon based dish, uh, that I was, you know, hogging off the plate <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you were sort of explaining the genesis of some of that. So can you sort of give a, you know, one one just primer on, um, sort of how, you know, how this all fits together? Okay, so um, so my dad's from from my dad
1: grew up on Oahu. I also partially grew up on Oahu, um, but his family lived on Kauai for many generations. And um, over all these generations, there was a lot of intermarriage. So I am actually what you would call a poi dog or, or a mutt. And um, many of our ancestors moved um, from different areas of the world to work on Hawaii's. Um, sugarcane plantations. And this is very, very common throughout most local families in Hawaii. There's going to be a like great ethnic diversity within one family, and there's going to be a lot of history uh, that involves the plantations. So the plantations gave rise to Hawaii's local food. And I say Hawaii's local food very deliberately, because that includes some Hawaiian food, but Hawaiian food is a distinct category in itself mm-hmm. so Hawaiian is an ethnicity um, and of course there's a cuisine attached to um, that ethnicity and uh, everybody else who came later on the Portuguese uh, the Filipinos Chinese Koreans and all the many different ethnic groups like took on um, each like, aspects of each other's cuisines so they cooked together they had to live together they had to put up with each other and many of them intermarried um, and so that grew into um, its own cuisine so it's not fusion because nobody came and like took different aspects of smash right. together like we this the food that I grew up on and the food that is like the background of what I serve um exists like mm-hmm. it, as as a distinct cuisine like you have Korean kalbi on one plate and um, that very comfortably sits next to a mac salad. And that's with, served with rice, of course. And obviously, that's a plate lunch. Um, so this is something that has existed for um, decades, if not longer. And um, there we have Hawaii's local food. So it's a really interesting dichotomy of saying Hawaii's local food. Because when we say local in Hawaii, it doesn't mean of the place. It means it was brought from another place and accepted <laughs> into Hawaii so that we can call it local.
0: It's it's such a fascinating history uh, to me and I'm curious what is what does high-end dining uh, look like in Hawaii? And Pardon my ignorance for not knowing that.
1: So it's looked like different things um in the last I would say like over the course of my lifetime. So when I was a baby um the place you know the places to go where places that focused on like um put like using pacific influences with like french techniques um and there wasn't when i was a really little kid such an emphasis on local ingredients maybe on like some things like on certain certain fish um and certain vegetables but there wasn't really like a very holistic way of um looking at Hawaii's resources because we imported and we still import like a really, like, I don't want to like miss, like get the statistic wrong, but like, I don't know, like 90% of our food from the mainland, which is ridiculous. And it's incredibly expensive. It's so expensive. Um, And even now, like, you know, most of Hawaii's milk comes from the mainland. Like most, most of Hawaii's food does come from the, from the mainland. um. so there's that, but, (laughs) and it's a real, like, It's very hard to like sort of condense into like one Mm -hmm. like it's just a a few sentences, but I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I believe in you. Okay, um. So we have in Hawaii, like we also um since we have this like impulse to make other people's food our own, um, you kind of have to remember that like, and the way that like I approach uh. Hawaii's local food and Hawaii's food and my own food is that it's not a static thing it's something that's like constantly innovative and interesting and yes we have the classics yes we have like um Kalua Pig and uh Spam Musubi like these have been classics for quite a long time now but that doesn't mean that you can't like you know tweak them a little bit or add your own flair because like what I find so exciting about Hawaii's food is um, people encountering it for the first time are like, oh, okay, right, Hawaiian food is this. Hawaii's local food is this, like these few categories. But like if you even just like go to like my my family's potluck dinners, there's they're constantly bringing like new things. Please I? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god. Um <laughs> they're they're very welcoming to like anybody. Um our 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 mutual friend Clay and his wife Tammy came one year for Thanksgiving and we've been friends, very close friends since.
0: I love this.
1: (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like every, like, I think uh, what a lot of like outsiders don't realize about Hawaii is that we love bringing food from one place to another, like bearing food, great distances or even small distances and sharing food is like such a part of um, Hawaii's food culture. So in Hawaii, like, a lot of um, our food culture is influenced by um, Japanese food culture, but also by Japanese culture in general. So omiyagi is something that you bring um, home to people from your travels. Um, you always have to show up with a gift and you always have to like think of others when you're traveling and bring something back. And usually it's food. So with omiyagi, this tradition of omiyagi, You are constantly bringing new food to people. And when you bring new food and new flavors to people, they're going to want to incorporate it into what they already know and enjoy and eat. So Hawaii, Hawaii's food is like constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And I feel like it's just like this big warm hug that keeps like bringing in new flavors and influences. So it, I want to like reiterate Hawaii's food is not static.
0: I'm just, I'm also just imagining, like, there must be an incredible, like, Tupperware situation happening, or, like, I know that sounds silly, but you were talking about, like, bringing food, but, like, the the, the big concept of that, but the small concept as well, if you're, like, just toting dishes and stuff like that, for some reason, I imagine, like, everybody having, like, really killer, like, pack-up food game.
1: Well, so since Hawaii banned single-use plastics, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so Thanksgiving at... um at, the, our, at whatever our Anita family's house, like wherever we decide is going to be Thanksgiving and it changes from year to year. Um, the host has spent the entire year saving yogurt containers, sour cream yeah. containers, like all sorts of things like zippies. is like our, like our local, um, our favorite, like fast food zippies mm-hmm. containers. Like we have been hoarding these for an entire year <laughs> so that we can distribute the Thanksgiving leftovers.
0: I love that so. I mean, I am I am a hoarder of uh, takeout things, so I'm fully in support of of this. Like, it's I mean, it's such a beautiful act to be able to you know to to do that and to share like, hey, here's a statement of me and 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 to open that up in uh, you know a restaurant setting in a food truck setting, that is I mean that's that's got to be sort of a it's such a tender thing to me like putting your heart on a plate and saying, like here I love this you know I hope you love it too can you talk about that sort of introduction of you know to to Philly uh, to you know Philadelphians of Hawaiian food when you know I can say you know having you know grown up you know on the mainland my whole life the only sort of Hawaiian food I got was very it, it's sort of like this corporate branded notion of it like you were saying like the kalua pork and and you know various like you know spam dishes or something and recently the sort of wave of poke bowls and stuff. but it's very except for a friend of mine who is uh, who uh, he's a white guy who grew up in Hawaii and actually lives in philly I should oh. introduce you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, and he um you know very much cooks. Uh, you know, the the food he grew up with. Um, otherwise, it's just, it's such a limited spectrum of what it must be. So what is it like introducing a city to food that they might not have had before? Um,
1: in reality, it was very, very exciting. And we had so much support. We, like, I didn't know, um, back in 2013, when we started this truck that like, I thought I was the only person from Hawaii in Philadelphia. Like I didn't know anybody else. And within like months of opening, like all these Hawaii people came, um, and, they remained like loyal customers and even became friends like over the course of Poi Dog's lifetime. And it was like a really, like, this happened like several times where somebody would come up and they would order a scoop of macaroni salad and a Spam musubi, And I was like, you know what? If I saw like a Hawaii food truck in the middle of nowhere, that's exactly what I would order. So I'd like poke my head out and be like, are you from Hawaii? And two of those times <laughs> I went to middle school with the person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like you built a magnet. Yeah. I was just like, it was like one time, I was just like, I poked him like, Leanne? I'm like, I haven't oh. seen you in like, I don't know. 20 years and she's like what and we were like on the swim team together and like i hadn't talked to this girl and then it turned out that we were like neighbors and then i ended up catering like her baby shower her bridal shower and you know getting back in touch with her parents who would like look up my old yearbook photos and send them to me which was less good because i was went through a very awkward phase didn't we all (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like there's so many like the thing is like uh yes it may feel really vulnerable but like, I, I, I feel like I found a balance. Like, I understood that I wasn't just serving like my heart on a plate. Like I had a responsibility to serve the best representation of what I knew to be um the definition of these foods to people. And, and like, you know, not all of our food was like, this is exactly the way you're going to find in Hawaii. And right. sometimes like we had people who came in who were like, this is not how my grandma does it. I'm like, well, you know what? this is how my grandma does it. So like, that doesn't, yeah. like that, doesn't, that doesn't like invalidate my food and it doesn't invalidate like your, your memory of it. But like, this is like, like I took responsibility. I'm like, this is like the story that we're going to tell because this is the way that like, this is, and it became like, not about me too. Like I have to say that, like, it wasn't like, I was not boy dog. Like I had a business partner, Chris, who was very much like, you know, we equally like came up with the, the versions of these the, dis- Dishes to serve, and then we also handed a lot of stuff off to our very capable and wonderful staff to execute. And um, then it really much became part of their lives as well. Like we also had like a significant amount of our staff um, who were from Hawaii, so Mm. like you know I didn't have to be the one like constantly telling the story over and over because they could do it.
0: So this is so you're not just building a restaurant, you're building community and. And a point of home far away, that's huge. So you know, I I know that when it, it's such a you know, it's not so much a comparable thing, but it's very much a sort of marker of where from. But I know that when if I find Cincinnati chili on a menu somewhere. And it's rare, but there are places, there are a few places in New York that have it. It's such a particular flavor. And it's this weird uh, Greek soupy chili that has chocolate in it. And you eat it on spaghetti with with cheese and various <laughs> things. But I sort of feel like this little pang. And like this, I wasn't super happy growing up there, but it still is just like the, I feel understood in a way. And so it, it feels like, you know, I was, uh, you know, looking at your Instagram. Well, I love your Instagram. First of all, I'm obsessed with your Instagram. We will get to that Um. But seeing, you know, the community that you built around you as you were, and we'll get to this part next, having to wind down the restaurant, like people bringing you cakes and people um, genuinely mourning because it feels like, you know, a restaurant that is so, so much more than a restaurant because, it, you know, it's an idea. It has all these multi-pronged uh, things. So I'd, I'd love for, like, the community aspect of it. How do you... You know, outside of serving the food, were there, like, did you do events? Were there, did people, any regulars get to know each other or any of that? Yeah, um, we, okay,
1: Uh, someone, I didn't know this for a while, but months in, I was told by numerous regulars that this was their, like, first date spot, so if they were, like, on Tinder, um, this was, like, the perfect place for them to meet up because, you know, it was small, it was cute and uh, you could have a conversation with somebody if it wasn't during lunch rush um but it was you know it wasn't terribly expensive um it was also easy very easy since you were paying for the food up front for you to cut and run if the food if like you know if the date wasn't going well (laughs) (laughs) i love (laughs) but it was also like it also became a place like where people wanted to like you know and it was really funny because I'm like, we're a plate lunch joint. And there are people who are like, can we use your place um, to like, you know, for a proposal? I'm like, yeah, of course. Uh, but we like the amount of weddings that we catered and like bridal showers. I'm like, really? Okay.
0: <laughs> when you're talking about the proposal, I just have a, like this notion of like a ring being buried in some food. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's like people propose in all all kinds of uh, interesting ways with rings in places, and I just had this beautiful like it's in the middle of the macaroni salad. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yes, <laughs> okay, let me wipe off the ring first. Then <laughs> there
1: we go. But yeah, a lot of people um, met there, and um they kept in touch, and um, it's it, you know that part of the community is really sweet, and a lot of people became friends there, and. Um, yeah. Like a lot of the staff, like my staff, they're all still friends. I still talk to a lot of them, like um, almost mm-hmm. too much, it seems, because some of them, <laughs> <laughs> but we we're all kind of like lonely and like, you know, putting around Philly. And I had a staff of like really nice, creative people. So we also are supporting like each other's like new endeavors, however small.
0: I mean, you wrote a really beautiful piece for FoodandWine.com. That we'll link to from this, but it was about the emotional process of having to shut down your restaurant as uh, you know, as so many people have had to do during this time through absolutely no fault of your own, but you know, because of this this g- goddamn pandemic yeah. and uh mishandling at every level from people, you know, the people who are supposed to be taking care of us and uh, if you could uh, talk a little bit about the, you know, I don't want to press the bruise too much here, but your, your essay was absolutely incredible and stuff. And if we can sort of talk through the decision to do that and, um, you know, and you and I have spoken before about like some, just some of the mechanics that go, it's not like you just shut the door and um, boof, it's gone. There's a lot of wind down.
1: No. And there, you can't just shut the door. There are so many things uh, to wrap up legally and even like just this morning, um, there's a there's a curious thing that happens where even though you notify whatever vendor or service of you know shut, that you're shutting down, um, especially during the pandemic, so many people have lost their jobs or there's so much miscommunication or people are not working together in an office. So even today, I had to I was on the phone with um, our um, our waste services and mm-hmm. telling them like, no, we really closed last year we had to say that I had to like really tell people like our security services, like all these different things, like that, even now, like almost a year on that I have to tell people like, no, you really can't charge us. We're really not there anymore. Um, it's still happening. <laughs> <You would> think-
0: <laughs> and it's just like the scab being picked over and over. And that's, I mean, the, I, I know that the decision to, you know, have to identify that, that moment where you know this this isn't just feasible uh, to to continue anymore. I mean, I've I've seen so many friends through the brutal process of you know having to winnow down staff, and some of them having to make you know decisions like, hey, actually, my people are making you know, more money on, you know, on unemployment or something back when yeah. <laughs> there was more unemployment money or, you know, having to sort of pare down to just, you know, essential times. And then and, and it's, you know, that being such a, you know, a deeply, deeply stressful time. And I know it's taken a mental health toll on on, on so many uh, people. Um, so when did you start thinking, hey, you know, maybe we're, we're going to have to wind down? Um, so we got some we got a couple grants and that
1: carried us through i would say the beginning of june and uh, then we reopened like once a week for takeout and then we did the numbers of like our best days um for takeout and even like in the most ideal scenario where we sold all the food um that we could you know muster up the ability to prep for like it just, it wouldn't even cover like our rent and rent is,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: people mm-hmm. blame rent as like the most, um, as like the downfall of, of, of restaurants during this pandemic, but there are just so many other expenses. Like, um, like payroll is, was always our, our largest expense. And they're just like, there's like rent is just like, you know, even if like rent was forgiven for us, like yeah. that wouldn't like we wouldn't have been able to survive um, right. that with like with all we basically did the numbers for the rest of the year without since I we made most of our money on catering um, and all of our catering disappeared um, right. in March like there's just there was just no way that uh, we could have made this sustainable and we'd have, we would have just been hanging on and losing money if uh, we were to stay open so I understand like my brain understands that of course like you know, emotions take a little bit longer to catch. Yeah. up. Uh, when I wrote that piece uh, for Food & Wine, like it was really cathartic. I wrote, I, I wrote two closing essays about Poy Dog. One was um, for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the other one was for um, Food & Wine a couple weeks after that, um, basically summing up the experience of closing a restaurant. Um, I had an alternate title to the piece uh, that was not printed and I might not even have mentioned it. I might have mentioned it just jest, <laughs> but it's actually quite serious. Or the alternate title. And actually, you know, the the alternate entire body of the piece was I I blacked out for two weeks.
0: Yep. <sighs> yeah. I mean it's it's a loss. I mean and, and it's it's uh you know there've been losses of all different kinds yeah you know, dur- you know, during all of this and i think it, you know we will be feeling this for a long time there's going to be ptsd for a long time you know as you know like i lost my mother to coronavirus and and mm. a lot of people have lost their you know their businesses their jobs their their well-being and you know we ran a piece on um it, right before new year's by uh, Darren Cardosa, who uh, he's a wonderful writer. He writes as the bitchy waiter and you know he's a veteran server who's currently out of work. And, um, and it was about how, just because it's January 1st doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to go back to normal because right. there, and I, I think some people think like, Oh, Hey, this magical day passed and everything is going to be better. Like there's so much, you know, coming back to, you said it earlier in this PTSD that happens from it. It's going to take a long time for the recovery of that. And I did. I don't know if people are willfully ignoring that, uh, not understanding that that's going to be part of it. But it's it's part of the history of restaurants now, or part of the fabric of restaurants now.
1: Yes, and we were broken to begin. I mean, the industry as a whole was broken to begin with. We had so many problems that were. Um. Put in great relief uh, by the pandemic, and um, like I hope that, like I, I have to hope that the restaurant world that evolves out of this um, comes out better. Um, but of course, that depends on on who survives and the um, willingness to change of the people who are in control like how willing they are to sur- how willing they are to change our culture um like i i'm exhausted like i yeah. Like I am like, I'm, I guess I'm like right at this very moment. Like I can't imagine opening another restaurant. Like I, if anything, I'm just trying to take my, myself out of the conversation at this point. Yeah. I like
0: who's it? I would like to be removed from the excluded from this narrative. Taylor Swift. Thank you for putting that into our mouth. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, Swift, Taylor Swift, whose, whose pandemic records I have actually been listening to a lot <laughs> during this. So, with this, you know the, the you know the time time you metaphorically would have blacked out. Like, how are you taking care of yourself during um this this time self-care is a thing that restaurant folks aren't? known for and you are engaged to another (laughs) restaurant owner so you're you're both feeling it like how do you how how did you take care of yourself and what kind of you know learning curve was was that for like hey yeah you know I'm feeling this way did you have any impulse sort of like yeah I should take care of this or was it sort of like that super masochistic I must be doing 10 million things like what was your what was what were you going through
1: um, I was definitely going through the 10 million things thing,
0: mm-hmm. but, um, I'm
1: real. I'm a very methodical person. So even in like, even during my blackout period of two <laughs> weeks, like I just like took, I made lists and lists and lists. Um, in the, in the food and wine piece, there's a photo of like, all like, all like the, I mean, actually it wasn't all of it. It was like a third of the orders that had came in for our final day of service. So I was so busy color coding and alphabetizing and like tagging on new orders and adjusting orders and doing all of that like the nitty-gritty stuff. And like I I'm I, I'm an obsessive list maker. Like even as I'm talking to you right now, I just I made a list of the stuff that I have to do to <laughs> talk to you. Like and that's that's just like how I operate. So mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's self-care or self-preservation. It's just what I do. Um other if I wasn't working on the restaurant or and then
0: you know utilizing the restaurant, I was crocheting. <gasps> Okay, let's go to your uh, your folks to Kiki's Instagram here. Um, So you were missing your friends, and uh, you were, and you turned to yarn. Was this a thing? Was this was this something that you had done before? And like, because I know with with chainmail, it's it's comfort behavior to me, and so to fall back into it was just like it was so familiar, and I didn't have to use my brain so much. I could just use my hands. But you're you're actually very much using your brain in your crochet.
1: Kind of. I don't know. Like I feel like it. It, it like shuts down like other parts of my brain so I find it very relaxing to, to just use like the how to make this thing into yarn portion of my
0: brain yeah I mean is it something that you had done before like is it and just sort of resumed
1: um no my so my best friend Mel uh she taught me how to crochet she taught me a couple stitches um maybe like two years ago and I made a. I I only made dog sweaters for like a good year and a half. Um. Yeah. People would ask me to crochet other things. I'm like, nah, I just
0: do dog sweaters. Um, <laughs> I like it. You're a purist. I love that. And I, I've, you, you've, you've seen my dogs in there sort of like someday we will hire aunt Kiki. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, no, I need to, I need, I, I would measure your dogs. Um,
0: I, I also, uh,
1: the thing is I don't, I don't, I don't work from patterns. I, I can't. I don't. I can't actually read a pattern. I have to do. I do everything freehand. Mm-hmm. So it's like I've crocheted for a lot of. I, I for a while I was like crocheting for a lot of chefs' dogs around town. Um, but I wouldn't. Would. Yeah. So I, they'd be like, "Oh well, you know, what can you give me in return?" I'm like, "Whatever you want." And so I, <laughs> I, I got like pork bellies. Like I got like all kinds of random stuff because I was crocheting for chefs.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> And and the the thing that you are, I mean, you have a, f- a few different sort of lines that you're doing with with your crochet, and there's there are the rabbits, which I'm so excited by, <laughs> and then there's the the sort of the package design, which if you could explain that, because I just think it's such a it's such a brilliant interpretation, and it, I don't know, it makes me think of like Mike Kelly's work. It it's it's just really exciting stuff happening in it.
1: So um, they were mostly challenges. It started off with me copying. Um, different artists like uh ceramicists so I would like look at somebody who created like a beautiful vase that I greatly admired and I really wanted um but I do not know how to work with clay so I'm like you know what I'm gonna make that out of yarn so I did that over and over <laughs> made some friends did some uh trades for like actual vases in the process which was really cool Lovely. And, and then I was like you know what let's turn to packaging because so it's it's a series um and it's In, um, it's sort of split up right now. So, um, it is uh, like the, so the bunnies are, uh, um, we're in a couple galleries and the packaging is cut. Like some of the packaging work is coming on other, so they're all being like spread all over the world right now, which is kind of cool anyway. So the, the packaging is something that I call, um, somebody else's childhood and, um. I'm crocheting um, pieces um, like a box of pocky or um, a bag of bamba, but like the bamba's like you know coming out of the bag and like touching you, um, and the strawberries and the strawberry pocky are like you know, are three D. They're like coming out of the the pocky. Um I did like Maltesers, but the Maltesers like you can like you know, touch the Maltesers instead of just like seeing them as like a flat image. Um, so I'm like copying all these packaging, all this, like, uh, all these products that have a lot of residents, like both to either to my childhood or to someone else's childhood. So, um, I, I very recently moved beyond snacks, although like my, my heart is very much in snacks where I started crocheting like, um, things in a typical Chinese medicine cabinet. So like, th- like, Mopico is or Mopiko is something that you would put on mosquito bites. And it's like the most old school um like mentholated thing um on the market. And uh it's like such a distinct smell. Like as soon as like I put this like I started like, you know, texting my friends in Hall calling, like, Hey, look at this dumb thing I crocheted. And they're like, Oh my god, I can smell it. <laughs> um, like, it, it's just, like, things that, like, are really, really resonant um in people's childhoods, like, around the world.
0: This is, like, a, a through line. It, it feels like from, you know, the food to, to the art and stuff, like, hitting that point of of specificity that is is such that that just transports you in um you know in non obvious way because it it it's just this this thing like it can only come from this particular place there's you know there's just that like that that sensory sort of trip up moments where you feel like I'm having this thing, but it's not in that place where I had it. And it, it, it's, it's just a really special feeling and maybe it's just nostalgia. Maybe I think it's something more powerful than that. And I think especially right now, as we're all dealing with isolation, those, those senses are sort of extra strong on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really, I, I, I'm glad that it elicits these sort of thoughts and feelings in you. Um, And I think it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot for me. For me, it's like um, like concentrating. Like like I want like for me, it's like a challenge. I'm like I got I want to see if I can take that thing and make it into yarn. Um, like it starts off as a challenge. Like I and I look at things in a different way now. I look at fonts in a different way. I look at um, like I pre- I really appreciate like certain fonts, like Helvetica, <laughs> um, yeah. of, of like the how the edges and things like work into how I do like a chain stitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I also like look at packaging different like this. I also like look at packaging and I'm like, all right, you are iconic, but how do I make you cute?
0: Yes. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that that's such a brilliant way to, to put it. Like, how do you make this, I don't know, it's a different kind of tactility. It's a different, like, It sort of like hits this extra emotional uh, switch kind of thing because like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like you know you were saying um medicines and things like that there's that very particular taste of like saint joseph's children's aspirin or <laughs> <where laughs> if i have even a whiff of it or something like that it reminds, reminds me of like having a fever as a child <laughs> and, yeah. but then also being you know taken care of in that moment which i think mm-hmm. was kind of the significant part of that particular moment like yes you're crazy del- you're you're supposed you're way too delicious for medicine here <laughs> because i might want to have a headache just to eat it but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, but then you know ideally if somebody is giving that to you it's because they care and it's just i don't know it it brings about this moment but i want to get to packaging here too because uh-huh. then you you sort of move through you know, yarn packages and stuff and you've created packages of your own for your own sauce which i have yet to crochet how meta Oh my God, <laughs> it's going to be intense. But I was I was talking with with one of my colleagues uh, yesterday about how you know chefs who are currently unable to operate their restaurants, you know, in the way that they had other, because their restaurant is gone or because it's at uh, you know limited capacity or something, are trying to find all these other uh, income streams, and also just brand extensions and other possibilities for longevity and you know. It, it, you know, is, there's sort of a whole lot of things going into it, but they're making uh, spice blends or they're making sauces or other kinds of products. Had you always thought, Hey, I, I will be making poi dog sauces with that. Was that always part of the intent or how did that come about? Um, so
1: it came about when I did an event um, out in the Poconos um, for Pocono organics. It was actually part of um, a UN initiative to um, make sure that we had like diverse seeds um, in the world. So, um, the event, it was called, uh, food forever experience. Um, it's a, um, nonprofit based out of Europe. And, uh, randomly they asked me to make a dish and I said, yes, because who says no to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go out to the Poconos and this is actually the dish that you tasted. Um, yes. so I made, because I, I saw you, in, from a distance um <laughs> outdoors in like s- pretty like the same weekend that this um event occurred folks so, we were being safe
0: <laughs> just yes, noting so we're,
1: we're <laughs> safe and paranoid and still still safe and very lonely um, <laughs> so yeah so um i made um lomi lomi salmon but i uh, Lomi Lomi Salmon is a little bit of a misnomer. It's only partially salmon. It's also very much about the tomatoes and onions. And um, it was at Pocono Organics. So they also had like all these really nice watermelons. So I'm like, what the heck? Watermelon kind of looks like tomatoes. Like, let's chop that up and stick that in there. Um, So I made Lomi Lomi Salmon with watermelon, which is what you tasted. And I seasoned it with um, a version of chili pepper water that was made with... um, the peppers that were growing, um, in their in the Pocono Organics greenhouses, and I made the the chili pepper water. And it happened that my friends, um, from Burlap and Barrel, Ethan and Ori, were also at the event. So we were very much like, excited about seeing each other, uh, hanging out again, tasting each other food, all that stuff that we missed for like almost an entire year because we haven't had events. Um, and they or or he tasted it, the chili pepper water. He's like, you should bottle this. I'm like, mm. well, yeah, I didn't think of that. That's <laughs> a good idea. And so, you know, and then he like gave me um, a sort of impromptu, like, this is what you do in order to, um, you know, put your stuff into a bottle and sell it. And he to- he walked me through everything that's happened to Burlap and Barrel. And I, 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 I'm not even going to be- even try to explain like the year that they've had uh, from my limited perspective, but anyway, they were very, very helpful, and I mentioned this to. Our mutual friend Jen, who owns Gotham
0: Grove. Saint Jennifer Yu, who, if f- readers of the magazine will have seen a glorious Food and Wine Pro uh, spread about Jennifer Yu, who has this incredible company where it's it's primary primarily uh, Korean um, artisan uh, products. That she goes to Korea. She she works very very closely with uh, the producers, the farmers, that everybody everybody there and. Uh, imports these uh, to the US and is, you know, it's a pretty extraordinary collection of things. And, uh, you know, then she'll find some other things that she really loves that are not necessarily Korean, but like, it's kind of, if you, if they're in the store, you know, that they are genuine approved. And I can't imagine anything better in life than that. <laughs>
1: yes exactly so i had jen Yu and her partner rob thompson of gotham grove both basically hold my hand through this process of uh, marketing labeling things correctly um and then selling um my Mary lavender ponzu and my chili pepper water uh which i made in um and it's still an ongoing process i'm still at the very beginning i'm by no means an expert um, I am still learning all the stuff and I'm very, very, very tiny. So that's a caveat, um, <laughs> but basically I worked with food scientists at, um, Drexel that I knew already. And they also introduced me to the food scientists at Rutgers um on like, and they coached me through, um, how to make this, the, the process of, um, making my products, which are, very like mercifully, like I couldn't have planned this better. They're so heavily vinegar-based mm. that they are extremely shelf-stable. So that, that, that was very, very uh, fortunate <laughs> on my part. Um, but yeah, so like, and then I, um, you know, linked up with some, with a really amazing small design firm here in Philly called Heads of State. And it was eventually like what you see now is like a collaborative process between all of these different entities, Uh, me, Jen, Futai scientists, um, heads of state. And yeah, I feel like I was just um, reworking really, really hard between September, end of September and December to make this come about. And it has, and now we just have to figure out how to make,
0: uh, figure out how to make more of it. Right, and what is that like to have that first fully finished package in your hand? So,
1: um, it was just pure excitement having that first package in my hand. Um, a lot of like nerves because like is are things going to come on time? Like Jen wanted, um, the products up on the Gotham Grove site at a certain point. So to maximize on like, um, holiday orders. And there there was like a lot of, like, there were a lot of deadlines between (laughs) November and December. And like a lot of like, oh my God, I'm shipping like massive amounts of glass for the first time in my life. So there was like, there were, there were not um, like after all of the meltdowns due to packing tape. Oh my God! Uh,
0: was there I, a, was there a lack, or just it sticking to itself,
1: or sticking to me, sticking to other things, sticking to everything except the boxes? Oh my are God! You,
0: Imagining I, your dogs walking around just like covered in packing tape. Oh, the dogs are banished. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think my dogs would definitely misbehave if I were uh, doing a project like that.
1: Yeah, no, there there can be no dogs involved in, the, in this. They are they are they are not helpful. <laughs> Um, but the coolest, the thing that I was, the feeling that I was not expecting, though, because I spent a lot of my time with Poi Dog trying to tell people, like, hey, here's an honest representation of the food that I want you to eat. Um, but when it comes to making sauces that, and that aren't exactly ingredients, and um, they're somewhere in between ingredients and like finished products, but you know, very, they're very much in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, they have allowed. There's so much creativity on parts that have nothing to do with me. Like, I, I didn't know that I would create something that people would use in such interesting ways. Like, uh, my friend Caitlin put the chili pepper water into a Bloody Mary. And I'm like, <gasps> oh my God, I never even was thought of that. And that is brilliant. Our mutual, yeah, our mutual friend, uh, John Winterman sauteed radicchio with the Maui lavender ponzu. I'm like, oh my God, like I know like, these are, like they are using <laughs> these two products in ways that I just, I never would have imagined because like for me, I'm just like, I, I like to put it on everything, but what the things that I eat day to day, like my version of everything is of course different from your version of everything. So what I see like people um are using both of these sauces in like really, in really innovative ways. Like I feel so excited to be part of that creative process and not like, not the person that like the finished end of things.
0: I, I think it's such a, you know, it's sort of like seeing your baby out in the world. That's, you know, that's, that's gotta be such a, you know, such a tr- really tremendous thing. And I'm just thinking like, you know, when you're talking about the ponzu, ponzu is just one of my favorite things in the world. And I'm, and my head is sp- sort of spinning, imagining, cause I, I cocktail everything much like our friend, Mr. Winterman does. And I'm just sort of imagining the life with this. Is, is this something that you feel, you know, is this the start of, you know, a merchandise brand? Is this something you want to pursue further? Like what is, you know, the, the next life, the next, I know there's so many unknowns in the world, but like, what do you see as the next life of Poy Dog? so
1: like, I want this to be a continuation of the feeling that people got when they came into our restaurant or came or discovered our food truck. It was this feeling of like discovering like a small gem. I don't have any intention to make this super huge or anything. Um, but I loved that. So with Poydog dog, like we never advertised, we didn't even like put up like a Facebook ad. Like there was no, like, here, you got to come and try this. Like there was never, um, that, um, sort of like angle at all. Like I loved that people told their friends, like it was, we were all like word of mouth and I love that people, it was something, a place uh, that people stumbled upon and grew to love. So I was thinking that I would hope, I would hope that these sauces end up on shelves of places similar to that, like tiny little grocery shelves in cafes um, in like counter service places like i want people to stumble upon these sauces in like the most random um places so it so it feels that like you know every time you discover like a small treasure and it's
0: meant to be i love that and i love the notion of <laughs> again the abstraction mm-hmm. of that packaging like what people end up doing with it because i'm thinking about like those iconic containers that people save i mean like well there's the dance c- cookies that eat, sort of everybody jokes about because it's your grandma's sewing kit <laughs> and <Yeah. it's, laughs> you know or i i'm thinking like when i was a little kid like those band-aid containers when they were when they were metal like uh, you know just those those particular you know, containers that that get saved or repurposed or something like that from uh from the beauty of it and i just you know i like the The notion that you are so, you know, into these sort of icons and, you know, you're working toward making one of yours, you know, one of your own. I think that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a pretty incredible thing. And I feel like this, you know, I've I've seen a lot of, um, you know, chefs sort of figure out, like, you know how, how do I survive? What are you know? How can I sort of be be nimble and and sell things? I've seen Eric Rivera do that, like like whoa, you know, from from Otto in in Seattle, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is going to be something that is baked into restaurants moving forward. That there you know there has to be some sort of flexibility because you know now that we've seen kind of the worst case scenario, what can happen in the future? And you know Matt Jennings uh, talks about it as a, being a flexaurant, which I really Uh, appreciate and I'm curious what do you think is you know none of us has a you know a spyglass or anything like that that can see into the future what do you what do you think is going to happen out of all of this what do you think is going to happen what do you want to happen so many places
1: are um, taking like doing these like meal kits and do like varying degrees of success and um, like I find that I find that really fascinating like not like not so much that like oh you expect to like buy a meal kit wherever you go um to a restaurant but it's a very different thing operating a fine dining restaurant and operating operating a, a takeout focused restaurant um and like I have been on the you know, the operations side or at least like from the operations perspectives of both. And they're, they're vastly different. So I, I feel like there's going to be more of a merge um, hopefully in the future because um, takeout can be lucrative in its own right. um, If you discount like, you know, horrible delivery apps. Um,
0: (laughs) Oh yes.
1: (laughs) But there's also very, something very special about like loving a restaurant a lot and being able to take home, a part of it so that you can enjoy it like slowly over the course of several days like whether it's like something that you consume um like immediately like a like a salad dressing or a sauce or something like that that will like you know just elevate um whatever you happen to be eating um or like a very like thoughtful focused um meal that you do actually have to cook like i'm intrigued by the the pasta kits um so yeah, I feel like that's going to be built into um, restaurants um, in the future, and I hope it is because, like you know, I as as much as I complain about being stuck at home a lot, I I, I have made my home a lot more um, like nest-like. Nest. So I'm happier at home now than I was a year ago because, like I you know, I purchased like my first rug um so so the, the the floors are like you know are less barren than they were before so i'm happier staying at home now and and i'm happier like dining at home but still like i i
0: i don't always like to cook for myself who does yeah and and the irony of this is your fiance is a chef as well and everybody always assumes oh you must eat like kings and queens at home and
1: no i do all the cook. cooking at home
0: it's not fair <laughs> But like, even, uh, even when the restaurant was open, did you, uh, did you do all the cooking? Is there, I mean, chefs eat like crap at home.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. No, I, like, I it was horrible. Like, I, so I was like the event girl. So I, I had moved on from my restaurant to really focusing on our special events. So I was always eating like at events or like leftovers from events. And <laughs> most of the time it was like, you know, kind of like dried out cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we never, we, we really ate terribly Um like, I ate terribly when I, um, I was in the, you know, back, like, pre-pandemic. Um, Ari doesn't eat great when he is working at the restaurant. And so, so then I feel, like, forced to be the one, like, cooking at home because he comes home exhausted and I'm like, all right, well... Here's some leftovers, and we're always eating leftovers. We're perpetually eating leftovers.
0: I love a leftover. Uh, Douglas, my husband, is uh, uh, calls it used food, so <laughs> we we get creative. And you know, he's he's working outside of the house, uh, you know, now, and I'm at home all day. Hey, food, <laughs> the food one wine park slope branch, and uh, yeah. So I am I am the eater of the leftovers around our house. <laughs> And, you know, do you feel like you've gotten better about taking care of yourself in a way that maybe you wouldn't have if, uh, you know, all of these things were still going on, if, if things, nothing had changed in in January?
1: Um, I think in some ways, yes. Um, I mean, I, you know, I feel like I will have a difficult time rejoining society once society, oh, you know, you and me both. <laughs> can meet in person like I feel like I've like gained um I guess like a certain degree of social awkwardness that or maybe like amplified the previous social awkwardness that I had (laughs) so I mean yes I think like I I sleep better now I still I mean I still like wake up worrying because things like you know elections have still
0: very much been keeping me awake uh, yeah. And no, 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 I know the feeling, by the way, everybody, we're recording this on the day when they're trying to get in the results from the Georgia runoff. So there's still plenty of stuff
1: to be stressed about. Like in general, I feel like I'm sleeping more, but like, I'm not doing the things that I used to do when I was running a restaurant, because like, I, I had a very, um, like, I feel like I had a pretty good, like, schedule of like doing things. Or where I would like work a whole ton, but then I would get like a massage every month and I would like work out like, you know, in a group of people like five days a week. And I don't do that anymore. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, it, this sort of struck me the other day where I, you know, I haven't had a haircut in, so I, I normally get like a haircut like once a year. So mm-hmm. I had missed my annual last year. Oh. So I have like two years worth of hair on my head. Right now. And like, I I like brushed it out the other day and Ari turns to me, he's like, wow, you look like you haven't spent the last three years in a bunker.
0: (laughs) I I believe the last time I saw you, you put your hair into braids to look like Wednesday (laughs) (laughs) Adams. But yeah, I I haven't had a haircut in... uh... I think a year I've, I've been trimming my own bangs uh, and yeah, it's, I, I, I brush out. I have, my hair goes down to my hips. So it looks like I have cousin it on my head. Oh <laughs> so. yeah. No, he calls me
1: cousin it a lot. I, I know we have like the same
0: issues, but I am going to yeah. donate my hair eventually. Oh, I can't. My, mine is colored. So I can't <sighs> do that. But I'm, uh, if I send it to you, would you knit something
1: out of it? Or? You know what? I'm going to try. Like I was, I was, I have, I'm talking like one, my, one of my close friends is a, much more established fiber artists than I am. And we're always like talking about experimenting with different materials. Right now we're very much stuck on zoodles.
0: What are zoodles? Zucchini noodles. Oh, those, I was thinking a craft thing. Like, okay. yes.
1: yeah. so we could, we wanna figure out if we can crochet with like zucchini noodles.
0: I believe in you, and of anyone I know, <laughs> you're going to be able to do this. And I, I just, oh my god, I like, I want, I so want people to go to your website and see all these multifaceted things of mm-hmm. you that, that you're doing. I do want to like touch on w- one thing too, because it's a story that is uh, stuck with me that you that you told me, and we can get as you know broader, specific as you want to um, on that. But a lot of a lot of chefs make. Uh, is sort of their side living um, or, you know, parts of their income from doing work with, with brands, Um, all different kinds of brands. They might consult, they might, you know, rep a brand, they might develop recipes. Like it's a, it's a thing definitely that is so vital uh, to the industry because, uh, you know, (laughs) the margins of restaurants, not so great. And you've, you've done a lot of brand work and development and things, but um, if you're comfortable talking about uh, what you told me.
1: Yes. So I will not name the brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think that like, it's probably, so this is, so I've been working with brands and developing recipes for brands for about half the time that I've been cooking professionally. Um, and it's really fun. Like I, I, I'm always excited on, um, when like a, especially like a very established brand trusts me to use their ingredient or um, their uh, blender or whatever um, to make one of the my not so typical meals, so um, I think I'm pr- I'm really good at um, imposing my own voice on my recipes within the framework of a brand now, but. When I first started out on, um, and when I was first approached, I, there was like one time I made a recipe, um, with two products for a single brand, uh, that. Like I was really proud of and, um, my dear friend, Neil Santos, um, was nice enough to, um, shoot the making the steps of this recipe and, um, he is a really extremely talented um, and well-known food photographer, um, and he like just created these like absolutely gorgeous images of um, this. Um, it was a savory noodle salad that I made, um, but the brand ended up not using those images, and and they, I guess. They like to have a big, a very corporate feel but um, my recipe ended up being, um, on the internet made with, like demonstrated with hands that are clearly, um, hands and arms that clearly belong to a typical, um, what you might expect, like a chef to look like, which is to say, um, tattooed arms and a white male. hmm and so, yeah, i uh,
0: yeah. were you, were you able to I mean, in that that's a I mean, that's such a moment of erasure and it is, uh, you know, and it is something that food media is definitely you know, having a reckoning with. But there are it's also so pervasive, weirdly, in the sort of B2B uh, space, like I, I see a lot of these sort of like corporate you know, websites that, you know, sell direct to restaurants and all that. And uh, I I, I remember going through kind of the panel of chefs they had there. And I think they, every single one was like a white man because they think like they are still stuck in that. Like, this is, this is who chefs are. And I think especially i mean this is a course correction that has been a very long time in the making but especially after you know, this past year with you know in the wake of you know all of these you know, you know deaths by police these murders by police and in and the protest that has arisen and more people talking about the systemic you know erasure and abuse of of people of color in you know, in the world, and, you know, in particular, uh, in, in food media, do you feel like that is going to to take a shift or what it will will take to sort of get to that, you know, that corporate level, if they're going to have a reckoning, or if it's just going to be, hey, this is, you know, this is how it is?
1: Um, There has to be a reckoning, there at least has to be a change. Um, I mean, I, okay. I, 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 mean, I worry at the same time, like, yeah, <laughs> I like, uh, like I, like on the, on the one hand, I'm like, yes, you can get chefs of like different ethnicities um, and genders and, you know, call them chefs and say that, and like, you know, give them the marketing and make them part of your marketing of your corporation or whatever. And, you know, if that benefits the chefs that you are using for this purpose, fantastic, great. Open up the marketplace um, to like, you know, more diversity so that um, more people can share in this pot of like developing like the recipes of the future for for, you know, the rest of the, for the entire country. Mm -hmm. Because these, like a lot of these corporations have, you know, very significant reaches at the, at the same time, like I have also seen, um recipes are very, very dear to people, recipes who are dear to yeah. that are dear to me, like really atrociously bunkled. Yep. So, so I'm like, yes, please, like have more voices. Mm-hmm. But the other time, at the same time, I'm like, but please listen to them.
0: Yes. It, it it feels like there's so much kind of window dressing going on, like and and sort of using people as as props, and it's not until people have actual equity in it, um, equity and respect and representation that it's, you know, as so I, I think I sit in, you know, some of the same skept- skeptical place as, as you do, because it's, you know, if you're not really giving people, you know, benefit from like real benefit, not just using them as a, you know, as a face or like, Hey, we have this one particular recipe from this particular culture up here. So we're good now. Right. Like, and just go back to the dude bros, like the white uh-huh. dude bros, like, it's not going to, you know, fundamentally change. I, I really, you know, again, I think this with all of this and with restaurants closing and, and with all of that, I, th- when the doors open back up and people are able to go back into restaurants, I've had this, you know, this is the question I've just been asking everybody, like, who is going to have the resources to, to open? Who is going to have that you know, that, that truck, that brick and mortar place that, you know, whatever it is, because, you know, women have a harder time getting funded and people Mm -hmm. of color have a harder time uh, getting funded. And I'm just, you know, sort of pins and needles looking to see like how this is going to shake out after this. And, you know, I know as my media, I can have a part in that too. Sort of like trying to be working out all this with, with you. I just like, I, you know, I, I see the future that you know I want, and I have so little um faith in in some quarters that uh, I don't know. Sometimes I, feels. I, I mean,
1: you got you. I mean, you particularly, and like other people in food media, and like really have like a like, I, have a, like a like. I, there's this great weight now because. And now, like you really, really affect on um, people's livelihoods. Like if you, you you recommend something, like people are like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. what else is remaining? And also, like that sounds great. Let me go for it. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't envy your position.
0: This actually leads into something that we have not done for a while, and that I am so excited to bring back with you, which is the questions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like a few people said, like, oh, we missed the questions and stuff like that. So, we will uh, re- we will uh, dive back into those. What is your comfort food? Kanji. Why in particular? I mean, I uh, like, very, very comforting. <laughs> How did kanji, like, just permeate your life? Um,
1: so, kanji was always there uh, when I was sick or sounded sick or if anybody in my household was sick and pretend, also pretending to be sick. so you can't be be sick. <laughs> Exactly. Like it was like a cure, cure all like, um, and so it was just always there. It's also really delicious and really easy to make. You can do it in the rice cooker. Like I'm all for dishes that can be done entirely in the rice cooker. Um, and I'm actually, I just made polenta in the rice cooker last night. Mm. Um, so yeah, so me and my rice cooker are best friends. I <laughs> so um, crocheted
0: the rice cooker.
1: No, but I I should. I
0: should <laughs> In your that. spare time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll definitely
1: like make make one that like opens. As well. <laughs> oh
0: my god. Make a cozy for it. Make it like a slow, uh, rice cooker cozy or
1: something. I mean, yeah, like, I love my rice cooker so much it should have a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
0: So, but, you, so you so you made the polenta then.
1: Yeah, I made the pol- oh, this is actually so this is actually for it was a recipe that I was developing for Vitamix um, where I milled the corn. Um, so I, I wanted to prove that you can make polenta out of popcorn. And so I made popcorn polenta, but I, I, am calling it, um, popcorn congee because it's made, <laughs> made in a rice cooker. Um, uh, and, and I'm, I'm working on editing the video today. So i so long as, you know, the Vitamix executives don't. They they approved the recipe, but like, so so long as they're okay with the process, um, um, you should be seeing that soon.
0: So what is uh, your particular favorite kanji? What's in it?
1: Um, chicken broth, lots of ginger. Like I really love super gingery kanji. Um, if I make it myself and if I go out and get it, I like a roast duck kanji. Mm, my God. I just,
0: <laughs> just want to go and swimming in a bathtub full of that right now. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so good. Yeah. So, what is the last meal that you had uh, that made you emotional? Um, the last meal that I had that made me
1: emotional. Hmm. Oh, so it was um, my fiance's restaurant, Moosey. They were doing outdoor dining for a little while, and Moosey right now is in. It, it's on hiatus. Um, they're focusing on their cheesesteak, uh, the frizzwhit, which is made from like um, pastured beef and good ingredients. But Moosey was one of my favorite restaurants, Moosey um, as a fine dining restaurant. And there's something that I miss so much about it. Like I used to go with all my friends there and I, you know, you get all of these like little delicate, Uh, dishes made with like bone broths and uh, you have like handmade pastas floating in this like delicate like fish bone broth. Um, I miss those pastas so much. And um, just like really, really carefully thought out food that was like so hyper local that like I knew everybody who had a hand in making the ingredients, like growing the ingredients, uh, preserving the vinegars. Like I I knew everybody involved in like the entire supply chain. So I missed that, but also it was like really good. So anyway, <laughs> so we, so Philadelphia, and um, when we shut down um, eh, for like indoor dining and then like everybody moved to outdoor dining, I think this was sometime in the fall and Moosey was just like, we're in South Philly. We only have one outdoor table. It doesn't make any sense. The last dinner that I had at Moosey, right before they shut down the Moosey side of the operations, like I, I knew that there, I wasn't going to have this food any time soon because it's, the way that you cook at home is very different from the way that you cook at work. And Ari doesn't cook like that at home, at all.
0: He almost <laughs> Ari, doesn't. Ari, come yeah. on, man.
1: Yeah, like you're not gonna get this, like this, like like um you're not going to get like, you know, 10 very, very carefully thought out dishes like brought to you. Um, you're ne- never going to get that in my house. And, <laughs> and, and it's not something that really exists now anyway in the world. Not, not really not in my world. Um, so I knew that this was like the last time that, um, I was going to be treated like a guest in that fashion in this restaurant that I love so much that yes, I have like a lot of personal ties to, but I'm um, like, honestly, just like, loved the food that was like under the moosey umbrella so the last time eating that like outside um i guess it was must have been in october um now i'm getting emotional thinking about it all over again because why can't someone just bring me 10
0: yeah. plates of food <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like I'm gonna have a conversation with Coconut yeah. and with Ari <laughs> about bringing you this because there's there's that thing about being taken care of in a particular way that is just so. I think we're all craving it, no matter who you are. It's such a it's you know it's such a beautiful thing, and you know in the absence of that, I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm I think we're all white knuckling it, and you know I'm I've, I'm tweaking the question that I used to ask because it, we used to really take it for granted about like, what's the last meal that you had at, 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 you know, in somebody's home. And, you know, and it was this easy kind of thing, but I think for, for this year, I'm changing the question to what is the restaurant meal that you are dreaming or restaurant experience that you are dreaming of having once that it's safe again?
1: So Helena's Hawaiian food, Um, on Oahu, like I, um, some of the food that we served at Poi Dog, um, I would say would be a, was a mere facsimile of what (laughs) Helena serves. Um, and I would like, I'm a little mad right now that I can't like hop on a plane and go over there, get those, the pipicala short ribs, um, and like dip them in poi and, I I would like that. I would like that very much. And
0: I'm like salivating just describing it. Oh my gosh. I I really believe it. I've been trying to, you know, sort of better my meditation practice during this. And I do like loving kindness meditations where I like sort of direct them toward other people. And I I think my next one is for you and wanting that for you because that uh, I know how important those things are. (gasps) Um, What living musician... would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them what living musician
1: oh wow that no one thank you for asking me a question that no one's ever asked me
0: before yeah because it would be easy like you know if you could say like any musician living or dead or whatever because it <laughs> you know there's some easy things that i think we would, yeah i think half the people would answer, yeah. like david bowie or something <laughs> but right. living yeah oh man uh huh I know, you know it's I'll, a tough one. <laughs> hmm. I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, and we yeah. can we can come back to it when I ask you this this, this next one. This next okay. one. You, have, you have five uninterrupted minutes for self care. What do you do? Um. I hug my dog. <gasps> Talk and, about your your yeah, dog she-
1: for a sec. So, coconut, so this is, I mean, I, I feel like if you're a small animal person, you might understand it. but um my my dog smells amazing, naturally. She smells like popcorn. It's definitely a dog thing. Um, and I love like bur- burying my face in her neck and like giving her a little kiss on the chin and smelling popcorn.
0: I mean, I met your dog and spent a holiday with your dog before I met you. <laughs> because, uh, your uh, your dog was uh, vacationing with. I, th- I think you you were traveling and you had uh, you know, and you were boarding your dog with a, with a dear mutual friend of ours. So I got to have like I think it was Christmas dinner or it was a Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with your dog and didn't meet you for many, many months later. <laughs> and, uh, coconut spent some time on my lap, uh, during this. So I fully get the joy that is, um, your small and sleek dog. <laughs> she is a wonder. And she has her own Instagram too. If people want to follow Coconut as well. She's very cute. Um, she's
1: coconut Aranita, obviously on Instagram and yeah, she's just, she's, She's just, she's the perfect animal. She's, um, she's she looks incredible. Like a, she looks like a baby otter. Yes. If you're into baby otters. I was going to say seal, but you are more correct. You're way more correct. She kind of, I mean, yeah, she, I can see seal as well. Like I, I alternate. So, I mean, part of the whole um pandemic imagination, imaginary world that I created was pretending that she was like a different animal. And I'm like, Oh my God, guys, I have a baby otter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think like, so many of us have gotten so weird with our pets during this. So <laughs> I'm here right there with you. Yeah, You're who I spend all my time with. So <laughs>
1: um, could the musician question be yes. more of a, somebody who performs music occasionally, but is more of a, a movie star. Yes, because I'm so blinded by like, the one person that I would like to cook for that. I can't like I can't even think Bring of, like, it. Antonio Banderas.
0: <gasps> what would you make for Antonio Banderas?
1: Um, probably a roast chicken. And then I would ask him like, so the first thing I ever learned to cook was was um, tortilla espanola because oh, I actually. Dish. Yeah. So I would be like, is this good? If it's not good, it's OK. So long as I get to spend time with you.
0: And what, and would you serve it? I am assuming that your sauces go incredibly with that. Yeah, I would,
1: I would, I would definitely put, um, so I'm like playing around with these things. So I want the sauces. I mean, I intend for the sauces to be no waste, um, because the residual stuff for making like are strained off for making the sauces. I dehydrate and, um, pulverize and turn into seasonings. So Mm -hmm. I'm playing right now with uh, making a Maui lavender ponzu seasoned mayonnaise. And um, thank you. I think I'm going to test it out. Uh, But I think it would go really well with tortilla because like tortilla, like the, you know, you have to have, I I learned how to cook it in in Mallorca. So it was called like the garlic aioli was of course, is called ali ole, but I feel like the Maui lavender ponzu garlic mayonnaise uh, would go well with tor- with tortilla española. And should Antonio Banderas be interested, I would happily make it for him. <laughs> and I'm already like blushing, like thinking, thinking of of, of making him a tortilla. <laughs>
0: You know that when I tweet out this episode, I am tagging him <laughs> in all, in all, in all forms. But I think that is please do that. He, he, he wished me, happy birthday last year. Oh my god! <laughs> I think this is inevitable. This is, dear Antonio. This, this is this is the energy that I think we all want for, for this new year. And like Kiki, I I just feel like. I oh, know I really feel like good things are ahead because you are making them happen, and you know, and you're being so considerate of like other people, like while you're while you're doing this and lifting, you know, lifting them up, and and you know, and your your producers and your partners and all that kind of stuff. And I just think, I oh, God, I think there's good you Know good stuff ahead in 2021 for you, and if people wanted to dive into the world of Kiki Aranita, how would they do that? Um, I have a
1: website that's mostly that writing, like food writing, um, it's a little bit of academic writing, and some of the op eds that I wrote for on uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer, they at kikiaranita.com, and they're all are also a bunch of photos of, um, the fiber art that I've been working on. Um, so yeah, that would be a good place to start.
0: That is so wonderful. And thank you so much, uh, for your time today. I know you have like busy busyness ahead and stuff. So I'm just really grateful to know you and and grateful for what you put out into the world. No, it's so nice to talk to you. I, I always love our conversations. I do too. And hopefully in the coming year, we'll be able to uh, do that in the same space, actually see one another's faces and all that and hug our dogs and all that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to our guest today Kiki Arnita and you can find all of her links in the show notes and uh, try those sauces and, and fall in love with her beautiful crochet work like I did and just get to know this in- incredible multi-faceted multi-talented human being and um, you know with minds and, and hearts and and souls like her. Uh, in the industry, I really have to have hope for a better future uh, and, and and a way forward. So if you um, go and go and pursue those, get those flavors in your mouth, those images in your head, and and just more kiki in your heart, it's good for everyone. Um, I want to note that uh, just after we finished recording, um, both turned on the news and saw what was happening in uh, in Washington with the uh, domestic terrorists taking over the Capitol building. And it was incredibly unsettling, especially uh, seeing as how we started out the conversation. So, you know, like I was saying to Kiki as well, um, take care of yourselves, uh, you know, f- consume as much news as you think is healthy for you, but take a moment to um, to turn it off as well and and uh, walk around and and. St- be with the things that make you happy, the animals, the people, the, the tasks, the, the small pleasures in, in life. Um. And hopefully at, at some point we will be able to get back to some sort of semblance of whatever the, the, this normal is going to be. You know, as you heard us talking, um, it's hard to take care of yourself in uh, difficult times like this. And maybe you do have a, a tactile hobby. Maybe you have some sort of pursuit or, um, a great pet like coconut or, Anita or dog. Um, and I just really heavily encourage you all to just take that moment for yourself. Um, and remember being a person who can enjoy things and, uh, you know, no, I'm going on here too, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been a difficult week for all of us. And I'm so grateful to Kiki for her energy and her thought and her leadership. And I'm really incredibly grateful to my colleagues at Food and Wine, um, to our you know, incredible producer, uh, Antara Sinha, uh, and who has just taken on this podcast with tremendous zeal and brilliance and all that she produces this week to week. And I'm so, so grateful to her and to, uh, Kelsey Youngman, who uh, shares her mantra with us every week, um, in the, uh, food and wine pro newsletter. So I mentioned up top, this is part of Food and Wine Pro, which is the part of Food and Wine that is really dedicated to telling the stories of the industry and the people in it and what they're up against. We're on your side, and uh, really, you're our people. We care very, very much about you, and want to uh, you know tell your stories and get you the news you need. And the best way to keep in to keep up with all of this is to sign up for the Food and Wine Pro newsletter. Uh, which is easy to find. You go to foodwine.com FW Pro. There's a link right up top. The newsletter comes out on Fridays. And it is written by our great editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, um, with occasional pinch hits from the rest of us, Um, Oset Babur. And I produce the newsletter uh, every week with the help of some really talented people and get you all of the links to the news you need to know with some uh, words of wisdom from Hunter about what he's seeing happening out in the world. And you can also catch up on the latest podcast there. Um, I also want to thank Sarah Crowder for getting together the imagery that we use with the podcast every week. It's just such a dang great crew of people. Um, I want to thank Douglas Wagner, who happens to be my husband, for the delightful theme music that I um, am always just tapping my toes to. It makes me really happy to to hear it. And if you like listening to this podcast, I really hope you do, um, consider subscribing, liking, leaving comments and stars wherever you get your your podcasts, um, help me spread the word on social media. It just, I love doing this and and helping people tell their stories and um, just getting, I don't know, it's again, (laughs) we all go back to the humanity of this moment. It's really a difficult thing. We are so separated from each other and we just see each other through screens, and I'm hoping that some of these words can can cut through and let you know you're not alone in whatever you're dealing with. Um, we're out here, and uh, we care. And I would love to know more about who you'd like to hear from, what you want to hear, hear talked about on there. I'm pretty easy to find. I am cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com, or you can find me on Twitter at kittenwithawhip, on Instagram at catkinsman. And, uh, there's always, um, please follow food and wine on all the platforms too. Um, I can't stop talking about how great my colleagues are because they really, really are. And, you know, most importantly to me is that you take good care of yourself until the next time.